Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today, ESPN's Mina Kimes, who has written what will be clearly seen now and I think into the future, the definitive piece on Luka Doncic, who is the teenage Slovenian sensation who has a chance to be the number one overall pick in June's NBA draft. Mina's story hits early this week in ESPN the magazine. You can find it at ESPN.com. She spent a lot of time in Spain uh, where he stars for Real Madrid, uh, getting to know Doncic, telling his story. She's one of the best, not just sports writers, but best American writers, journalists in the industry now. And she's here today to talk about Doncic, the piece, what she learned about him. And we talked about some of the perceptions out there that still exist that hang over European prospects despite all the success a lot of players have had before him here. So let's get to it, my visit with Mina Kimes. Welcome into Mina Kimes. Mina, how are you? I'm great. Your story on Luka Doncic, which appears in this month's ESPN The Magazine, it'll be online. Listen, this is a remarkable piece, and it is something that you don't see much in sports writing anymore the first really the first substantial piece on a player an athlete who has a chance to be (laughs) really big he is very possibly uh, the first pick in the June NBA draft he certainly will I think at worst be a top two or three or four pick if something goes horribly wrong for him but you've covered everything Mina you've covered politics news (laughs) business This story on this athlete, as unique as anything you've done, given you're usually writing about people everyone have heard a lot about. Yes, it's. I was thinking about when I started working on this story in December, or yeah, it was December. My goodness, who he reminded me of, who, what I could compare the story to, because a lot of my profiles for ESPN are. You're right, they're about. Athletes you already know. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was one of it last year. Uh, Von Miller, Antonio Brown. You know, I do a lot of NFL stories. Um, so it's not really comparable because in those situations, you're just trying to learn something new, right? And this is a, an introduction of sorts. And this is going to sound crazy, but it actually reminded me of a story I did two years ago about a 19-year-old, same age actually, a 19-year-old Korean kid, much smaller than Luca, who was the best video game, uh, best League of Legends player in the world. And I knew that American readers wouldn't know about him, but he was amazing and important. And so it was this kind of introduction of sorts for him as well. And I saw the two pieces being kind of weirdly similar in that way. The pieces, you spent a lot of time in Spain. Uh, Dokic plays for Real Madrid, which is you know one of the premier teams in what is the second best league in the world, the Spanish ACB League. And what is unique about Doncic is he is dominating as a teenager in a league of men. And there are a lot of NBA level players all over that league. And, you know, by comparison, Kristaps Porzingis, who was the fourth pick when he came in the draft, you know, averaged like seven points, four rebounds, something in that neighborhood, didn't play a ton and was pretty dominant when he walked into the NBA. And Doncic has been dominant, not just this season, but last season in international play. He is really, right, Mina, as accomplished 
of a European teenager as we've ever seen at that level. Yeah, statistically, um, he lacks precedent. <laughs> I mean, there's just no other way to put it. In the piece I mentioned, our Kevin Pelton does um, these warp projections, right, for young players, and he's able to go back and look historically at who they compare to. I think the closest one he got was Rubio out of Europe, but based on what Luca's done so far at that level of competition, the amount of production, which is very rare um, because, as you know, teenagers don't usually break into that level there. Uh, part of it's because, you know, the rotations run deep, but it's, it's very hard for a teenager to get meaningful minutes. So his production is unprecedented. It's it, According to Kevin, it's even higher, the projection, than a young Anthony Davis's projection, which had been, I, I believe, the previous highest projection he had. So just by the numbers, he is unprecedented. There's never been a prospect like him. What did you find interesting about the time you spent with him, getting to know him? There's a lot coming for him when he gets here, a lot of expectations. What did you find just interesting in spending time with him that makes you think he can't adapt? I'm not so sure he can adapt. Like, what did you learn there? Well, he has a really interesting biography. Um, he's been in Spain since he was 13 years old. Real Madrid signed him, I believe, the youngest player ever from outside the country to go there and enroll in their academy and uh, live on the Real Madrid campus. So in some ways, he's very prepared for living away from home because he's been away from his family and his friends already for you know, m- most of his formative years. And he speaks English. He speaks very fluent Spanish and then Slovenian, obviously, but certainly enough English where there'll be no issues for him. So in many ways, and, and in the basketball realm as well, he's extraordinarily mature. Probably his maturity, I think, is the number one characteristic people point to for the reasons we just described, which is he plays with men. But then in other ways, he he's a teen. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, when, if people read the story, they'll see that he acts like a teenager and he's very much 19 years old and is kind of, you know, will troll people in his presence and he's kind of funny and goofy and he's not mature in, in the way that no teen is really, or very few teens are. So I found that sort of balance kind of interesting. Um, he's a child star. He's been famous for a very long time. And so he's just so unique compared to your average college kid because of his unusual background. Yeah. It's, you know, there've been sort of the modern, I think, comparisons to him. You know, Ricky Rubio was playing in that league at a pretty high level at a similar age. And I remember spending time with Ricky right when he was getting ready to come to the NBA. He was a little bit older. He was 20 by the time he came and he had been drafted and then stayed over in Europe. And, you know, the longer Ricky was there, I think the more people started to pick apart his game and he, he was ready to come. He had sort of maybe even, I want to say declined over there, but he had sort of hit the pro game here. The NBA game was a better fit for his style. And with Donkic, it just seems like he's at an apex right now that, that is just so unique for a kid that age. And like you said, the comparisons are, are historic. Your sense of him and I don't know, maybe his, how anxious he is to test himself outside of that league to test himself over here. So that was an interesting dynamic in the story as well, because when, so I first met him in December and we were um, accompanied by a Real Madrid employee. And uh, so part of the reason, by the way, this story, you know, we haven't heard from him in an English language story is that Real Madrid doesn't really let their young players do interviews like this. It's a very cloistered private organization um, which a, a lot of NBA folks like the fact that uh, Luca's grown up in this environment, but 
you know, as a result, um, he is very protected. He's shielded in a way. And so when I first interviewed him in the presence of the Real Madrid folks and after the games and, you know, they're, they're halfway through a, a very competitive season. I think they are fourth or something like that in the EuroLeague right now. Um, they lost their best player, uh, Sergio Yo, I believe I'm saying his name right. Maybe the, the point guard for the mm-hmm. team. So yep. Luca had to kind of become, you know, step up in his, which is again, very insane for someone his age to take on that role as uh, the primary ball handler. But he kind of couldn't talk that much about the draft, right? I mean, right. he, I want to say had to, but he was also very much focused on his season over there. And he's going to continue to be focused on their season because EuroLeague and ACB goes into May and June, right? And he might miss the draft. So he had to walk that line between being there, being focused on their game and what they're up to, and then also this crazy future he's about to step into where he's about to become unbelievably famous and is a very competitive person. So to answer your question about his eagerness, I think he's very eager. We saw what he did in your league when he had a chance to play with some NBA players. Um, he's not afraid of taking that shot, you know, and I think he's a extremely competitive player and is probably extraordinarily eager to take that step to the next level. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned like what he did in Eurobasket last summer for Slovenia, which has not been a traditional championship level European team. I don't think they've won that tournament. Uh, he and Goran Dragic of Miami played together with some other talented guys, but usually Spain, France are teams that have played at the highest levels in those tournaments. And last summer when they just started running through in almost every game, he was taking on another, you know, star level NBA yeah. player. He played, I think, the Gasols and Rubio in Spain. And then when they played Latvia, you set this up really well in the story. And, and I think people here started to take more notice when he absolutely really, he took Porzingis apart in a fourth quarter. And what I remember was remarkable, and an NBA person said it to me that summer who was over there watching, was here was the fourth quarter and you would have expected Luka would defer to Dragic. Dragic yes. is a borderline all-star player, a guy on a max deal. And you would have thought, okay, now he's going to defer to Dragic. He will take the ball in the fourth and, and go try to win this game, win the tournament. And it was just the opposite. And to see the respect Dragic had for him and the way he deferred to what at that time was an 18-year-old player made everyone say, like, whoa. And then he he really did a number on Porzingis, who, and even in your story, you know, Chris Stapps has, you know, a lot of praise for him. That I think that was oh, yeah. a moment for him. Definitely. That's when I first heard about him, actually, because um, I saw that clip shared on the internet. There was some, and I think it's when when a lot of NBA fans probably first really heard about him was when that clip started getting out. Uh, it was really fun to go back and watch all of the games and watch him play alongside Dragic, because you know, I it, I don't know if they were clear how if it was clear to them how they would play alongside each other, who'd be on the ball, who'd be off the ball, and it was just fun to watch them figure it out and um, sort of master it in some ways, and for Luca to settle into that role. And in that final game, or in the Latvia game, uh, the the play that I looked at, uh, that I sort of stressed was, Porzingis got switched on him a couple times, and this one was a layup. But afterwards, what struck me was not even the basket, but afterwards when he turned around and kind of stared at him. And I remember seeing this and saying, who is this 18-year-old kid who just stared at Chris Stapps? Like, what confidence, what, what kind of background makes gives a kid that sort of mental makeup and I found it absolutely delightful. 
This episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they've created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash woj, W-O-J. Equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. You know, Porzingis, I remember spending literally the first day he had come to the states to start preparing for the draft. We met for lunch in New York City, in Manhattan, and I remember we met at one restaurant and we were going to another and he and I were in the back seat of, I guess it was kind of a van. And I remember literally sort of craning his neck and looking up at the buildings. At this point, obviously he didn't know that he would end up playing for the Knicks. And and I just remember being struck when we sat down and started talking about, you know, you know this, you know, when, when you talk to an 18, 19 year old, they're not always fully formed. They're not always really conversational. And and I remember starting in the car with Chris Dapson. I was asking him about another NBA player, Severonsky, who ended up in Washington. And I just asked about him because they played on the same team. And he started to chatting about him. And he was really engaging. And when we sat down at lunch, and I had never quite been around a teenager like him. And he was just so serious-minded, so determined, and really determined to get a message through to people here is don't compare me to the guys who you consider to be the Euro bust. I'm not one of them. And if you think I'm going to be one of them, you haven't watched me play. And he was really defiant, confident about that. And and you just sort of know it when you're around it. And I remember thinking, maybe Chris Stapps won't be good enough. Maybe his talent. But I knew he wasn't going to be intimidated here. You just felt there was a belief in him. And I would think that it's so rare for these guys. And I think there's a pressure on the European player who comes over because fairly, and you, you made the analogy in your story. Nobody, Kwame Brown doesn't represent all the American players because Kwame Brown didn't make it in the NBA and was a bust. No one says, well, don't draft any more American players. That doesn't work. But people do do that with some of the European players who haven't made it. And, and I think that hangs over, and it's a theme in your story, that hangs over Donkic, he kind of knows that is coming for him or that perception. And largely it will be by people who probably haven't really watched him play. Absolutely. I found it kind of surprising, I guess, um, when I started, you know, reading around and seeing what people were saying about him and then even talking to folks in around the league. So, you know, as I mentioned, I mostly cover the NFL as sort of my main beat and I cover the NFL draft and I, I guess, there's this feeling amongst football reporters. I, I, I did a 
football panel at Sloan this year. And at one point I sat back and I thought, man, football is so far beyond basketball, behind <laughs> basketball. Like we are in the dark ages. And, and I think the NBA folks would certainly agree with that, you know, in terms of just being numerate and analytical and unbiased and not being the guy in Moneyball who says, well, does he have a hot girlfriend? You know what I mean? Like football, <laughs> basketball is supposed to be better than that. And then I started asking around about Doncic and, and, Hearing just outrageous European comparisons that don't even make sense, right? And then even talking to some folks inside the league who were candid about the fact that you don't want to be the guy who picks the European bus because people will remember it. You know, Okafor, no one will blame you for that. But if you pick the European guy any bus, you're going to get kind of mocked. And that really stuck with me as I was reporting this. Like, wow, even as advanced as basketball is, as, as the NBA is, as much as we know, as many... You know, as statistically, I guess, clear the case is for this player, there's still that mindset, especially amongst, I think, owners and fans. You know, Porzingis had a great line in your story where he says, there's not a player in college basketball who could do what Doncic is doing for Real Madrid. And that's a fact. And I think it's lost on people here of how great that league is and how high the level of competition is. Yeah, you know, one thing I've noticed I've been hearing in the conversation about Luca and sort of the EuroLeague and stuff, people will say, well, look at who their MVPs are. They're not even that good. Or Alexi Shved is leading and scoring. How can they be that good? And that's missing the point. It's not about the outliers. It's about the average player, right? It's about the average level of competition he's faced is so much higher. It's not about have they produced X stars, um, you know, because all we can do is look at what these players, these college kids and him, these prospects have done so far. And we know how he's played against a much higher average competitor. Well, and listen, people who've watched you, Amina, on TV here in the last, I guess, eight or 10 months, like you had a moment there with Otani uh, being the Mariners <laughs> fan that you are. I think you were maybe in a commercial break on Around the Horn. And I think the story <laughs> yeah. broke that he was going to the Angels from Japan and not the Mariners. And, you know, you let out, you, I said you had a moment, you let out a screech. But there probably are some <laughs> parallels there. And I think I'm sure, and you followed it, I think, closer than I did, the walk up to Otani coming over here, which is, well, it's one thing to do it in one of those leagues in the Far East. It's another thing to come to the major leagues and do it despite all the stars who've come and made the transition. I think it still exists a little bit in baseball and people, obviously what he's done in this last week is unprecedented. And, and there, there are probably some parallels there, although I don't think Donkic is going to come to the NBA and do what Otani's doing in baseball. I don't think we're necessarily saying that, but I, maybe the respect for the leagues and, and the level of play, you could see the contrast there. Yeah, I think it's it's just kind of familiarity, right? Uh, we're more comfortable with what we know and what we see. I think uh, one guy said this to me. I didn't include it in the piece, but we were talking about owners, uh, a front office person. We we're talking about owners and you know their biases, and the and he said, well, it's really bad if they really like college basketball and watch March Madness. <laughs> then they really don't want a, a European or something. And I thought that was funny because yeah, you, you're biased towards what you see and what you know. Um, and I think it's certainly true for a player like Otani or you know. When he initially struggled in spring training, I remember I was on around the horn a different day and I reminded some folks, I'm a, I am a Mariners fan, that Ichiro struggled at first and then obviously went on to have one of the great hitting careers. Um, 
but people were ready to write him off at first as well. So I imagine if Luca struggles out the gate a little bit, he's probably going to have it a little bit harder than some of the college players. I think he probably has the mental makeup to overcome that, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some outsized criticism as a result. Yeah. And his personality, the charisma that he exudes, would you imagine, I mean, you look at the top of the draft and it could be Atlanta, it could be Memphis, it could be Chicago, you know, obviously some different variety of of cities. We'll see who ends up in the lottery. Is there a magnetism about him or that you can imagine him growing into that would maybe be accentuated in a big market that there could be, there's certainly a flair to his game, but in a big city, yeah. could he be that guy? I think so. Uh, you know, he, and I mentioned this in the piece as well, he, he is, he, he has a lot of flair to his game and a lot of emotion and he's actually a little bit more muted off of the court, which probably helps, <laughs> frankly. Um, you don't want, you know, a kid who has outbursts off of the court. Uh, but, um, I think, He's been in the public eye for so long that he's actually very experienced in dealing with that, which will probably help. Um, but he's very much a millennial. He's a 19-year-old kid who posts a lot on Instagram and is going to love the U.S. He didn't know anything <laughs> about any of these cities. I remember I was bringing up – because I said, you know, oh, you must notice in your social media. And he's like, yeah, thank – I'm not – sorry, I almost did his voice. Tank for Luca. And I said, well, where are they from? And he was like, a lot of Dallas – a lot of he was kind of listing all the cities, and I said, "Well, what do you know about Atlanta?" I said, "Literally nothing, Not, like zero, zero information." Which, so you know, he's in for a bit of a culture shock if he ends up, especially in a smaller city. This episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier, thanks to SeatGeek. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place, so you never miss a deal, and more importantly. You aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time because it's simple and it works. SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. You get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees at the checkout page. Now, here's the best part about the SeatGeek process. For all of you listening to the Woj Pod, my listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Then enter promo code Woj, W-O-J. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase it does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ, W-O-J. Mina, when you think like your career path to ending up in Madrid, spending time with a teenage basketball <laughs> sensation, it was not exactly what you imagined at Yale. I, I, I think you were at uh, <laughs> Fortune, you were at Bloomberg, right? And, you know, for everything, politics, business investigative pieces into you know multiple industries when you're doing a story like this does all of those experiences come into play because you're trying to kind of crack a kid a little bit you're trying to get something out of him that like you said he's got handlers around but he's not 
you know, this isn't Eddie Lampert. You did a great, an award winning piece on him where a sophistication oh, of guys. It's, it's, it's just different, right? They're, I guess they're all different. Oh, Luca might be a little more socially skilled than Lambert, <laughs> um, some of the hedge fund guys I used to write about. But yeah, you know, it's the same tool set, um, different personalities. These people are more famous than some of the business folks, investors, Wall Street types in some ways, you know, that, which can make it harder because you're trying to find out new things or show them in a new light or, um, but at the end of the day, it's probably the same elements of storytelling. I, find that being some somewhat of an outsider can can be helpful in you know and whether it's approaching these stories with a a bit of a business perspective or um just being outside the sport sometimes it can, I think it can work to my advantage especially in in dealing with the people because I tend to ask them questions that are usually stupid and um can be disconcerting but I think at, at least it's not the same question no, there's, and, and I think your, and people will see this when they read your piece. They'll see it in ESPN the magazine. It, it'll be on dot com on Luka Donkic. And, and I think just you bringing your eye for detail and really describing. And there's one scene from the time you were there. There was a great like five minute stretch, 12 points and just a few minutes. And we made a bunch of plays and you literally had to go back to this. Like you didn't quite know what you saw there. I think you went back home, got on YouTube, and then were able to better write about it because the naked eye didn't allow for you to really see maybe the uniqueness of a move, a play he made. Oh my God, it was a pass. I mean, which is, you know, the, the shooting, it's, it's there. It'll get better, I think. And, but the, the passing is, I mean, he is the kind of passer where you can't appreciate it the first time you see it a lot of times. You know what I mean? The, the, the no looks and, or the looking off and then the angles and the, the change of speed and direction. It's just remarkable. Probably, I don't know if I'm the person who can say this, but it, to me, it's the most impressive part of his game. And so it was, I think, just a yearly game in December and any of this pass and nobody really knew what happened. And then later when I went back and watched it, I was like, Oh my God, it's remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, I think the one thing in his game, and I think, you know, I know you talk to NBA people about this is, and in my conversations with people, and, and you, and you said this in a story, nobody thinks he's going to be a bust. Nobody thinks like yeah. he's just not going to be a good player. The question is, will he be a transcendent player? Will he be an all star? Will he be an all NBA player? Or will he maybe be a really just a good NBA player? I don't think anybody thinks he's just too skilled, but I think the questions are, is he athletic enough? Will he be able to guard? I think that's the only question. There's nobody who questions, I yeah. think, the drive, the talent. It's that, I think it's really that one element. And that's pretty rare for a player because most of the guys coming out of college basketball aren't extremely skilled, but many athletically, you could see they're going to grow into it. His skills above and beyond everybody else's. Yeah. The, the athleticism is really the only thing you, the criticism you hear when you ask around and, you know, it, it, it's the primary thing. And, um, I don't, it, Dragic had a great quote. We were talking about it. Um, and you know, Dragic is his, is his mentor, right? They played together in Sylvania and they're very close. Uh, couldn't ask for a better mentor, I think, for him. And he, we were talking about his game and Dragic had all these wonderful opinions on, you know, who he compared to and where, what kind of system he'd like him in and all that. And he said, well, he's not fast. And I was like, oh, okay, it's critical. And then he said, but he's deceiving fast. And which I laugh because that's how people describe like New England Patriots receivers. Right. So I said, right. well, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, 
he's like, I can't explain it. Like he'll just, he finds the angle and he gets by you and, or he uses his body and he's like, you won't really people. He said, he'll, you know, he can really overcome a lot of, I think, skepticism. So I don't know if that's true. You know, we'll see when he faces NBA level competition and that level of athleticism, but um, Dragic seemed to believe he has the ability to, I guess, go surpass the expectations of his athleticism. And it's really interesting. He's going to be coming into the league. You know, his rookie year may be Dirk Nowitzki's final season next year. And the transformation of the perception of the, and while there's still questions and we talked about that, Dirk changed a lot in the NBA and Dirk helped to change people's perceptions. And he opened, there were so many really skilled big men, the Gasol brothers and lots of guys who the rules in the league changed the ability to, for big men to step out and shoot Dirk changed that. And to me, it's kind of interesting that their paths will cross maybe for one year because, and and you got into this Mm -hmm. and some in the story that, that it all really did start with Dirk and maybe the acceptance of the star player from Europe. Yeah, Dirk was uh, familiar with him. That's a, a cool thing I found is all the European players know who he is. And a lot of them, I mean, some of them have played with him or competed alongside him or whatnot, but a lot of them, did, they're, they're kind of, I don't want to say proud of him, but for the reasons you just described, which is how much the perception of European players is changing, how much it's still evolving. I think they're very invested in the idea of changing hearts and minds. Um, and so, you know, it was on Chris Tapps was booed just a few years ago. So at the draft. So I think um, a lot of these guys, they, they want him to succeed. And I wouldn't be surprised if he hears from Dirk or some of the other older players in the league. Here's a question. This is away from Luka Doncic, but I'm always curious about this with you, Mina. Do you have friends from Yale who sort of like, maybe you were in the student paper with them or you worked and you sort of gone off in your different careers and then they turn on TV one day or maybe somebody has it on and like they see you with with Dan Lebetard and with Poppy and you're getting, <laughs> you're getting juked with the banana phone. And they go, is that Mina? Is that like, what is she doing there? Like, do you ever get that? I think people are surprised to see me on TV because I was not a performer. I was a writer in college, but I was not a performer. So I've only been um, a regular on Around the Horn and Highly Questionable some of these shows for about a year, a year and a half now at ESPN. So I'm still very new at it. Well, to me, it's amazing because like your discipline you coming up where you could be at any, whatever direction you decided to go in away from sports, you would have continued to rise and you made a decision to come to ESPN and then like start branching out within ESPN. But like, I would think that for you was at the beginning, that wasn't your training. You were about the kind of stories you did. It was always about the story, the subject you immersed yourself in the reporting. Like this was a departure for you to, move in this direction? Was that natural? Was it easy? Or has it been like, hey, I got to look at myself differently to do it? Oh, it's not not easy. <laughs> not natural at all. I think, um, yeah, if, if, if like I said, in college, if you had met me, I, I maybe would have gotten the, mm, she doesn't look that athletic. What's her ceiling? <laughs> kind of same treatment um, as Luca. But, um, you know, it, it is a craft. I think that's what I'm sure you you know all too well. Like it, it's not that dissimilar from writing, where there is an element of uh, paying attention and work and training and practice that goes into it, and then ultimately comfort. But I always find that I'm most comfortable, and I'm sure you feel the same way, talking about the things that I know about, which is why 
while I'm happy to talk about the Masters and um, pretend like I know anything about golf, or, or a better way to describe that would be rapidly study up so I know something about golf, I'm much happier talking about a story like this that I've actually spent a lot of time uh, thinking about months. Well, the story is remarkable. Uh, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time out. I think this story on Donkic is going to be the baseline for everything that's written about him in the future, talked about for him. To me, this is a really a tremendous, illuminating introduction to really the rest of the world. I'm, I'm glad you wrote it. I know people are going to devour this piece. Thanks for jumping in, Mina. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, ESPN's Mina Kimes. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this pod wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Thanks to today's sponsors. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.